0: We're not interested in just, you know, making a one-off in-kind donation or making a one-off grant. In most cases, we really try and take a shared value approach. You know, money is important, but there's a lot of other value ads that Walmart can bring to the table.
1: Hey, everyone. My name is Alicia Miranda, and welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors chief executive here at IG, and we're a London-based social impact strategy consultancy on a mission to bridge the gap between fundraisers, businesses, and philanthropists. At IG, we have unique insight into both donors and fundraisers, and want to help them better understand each other. And so, we bring you season two of What Donors Want, our fresh, dynamic, and slightly irreverent view into major gifts fundraising, straight from the donor's mouth. Welcome back to What Donors Want. I'm Rachel Stephenson-Chef, the producer and host of the podcast, and I'm very excited to share this next episode with you. We interviewed Kabir Kumar, a Senior Director at Walmart.org, a corporate foundation that really needs no introduction. Walmart is an American multinational retail corporation operating in over 27 countries. CSR is integral to Walmart's operations. Walmart and Walmart.org have together provided more than $1 billion U.S. billion in both financial grants and in-kind support to programs that align with their philanthropic priorities of creating opportunity, enhancing sustainability, and strengthening communities. I'm joined here now by Carlos, IG's founder, who's going to tell you a little more about today's guest.
2: Thank you very much, Rachel. before I talk about today's amazing guest, who I have a lot of love and respect for, I'd like to just point out the fact that you have not invited me back on the show for like Years now.
1: Years. Now,
2: years. So, years. Carlos
1: is a drama queen, if if, uh, if people don't know this by now.
2: That, that's a big fat lie. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm supposed to say thank you very much, Rachel, for having me back on the show. It's wonderful to be back. It's, it's been a very long time. It is okay.
1: wonderful to uh, have
2: you uh-huh. back. So... Listeners, today we are thrilled to chat with Kabir Kumar, a senior director at Walmart.org. Um, Kabir's been an, um, a longtime friend and um, and just colleague. Like I, I can't even tell you, he's he's one of my favorite people on earth, and just one of the smartest, most thoughtful human beings um, out there. And I just I just think when I think of people like him running big. Corporate, but also kind of big grant-making foundations, it restores a little bit of faith and humanity because Kabir really takes the time and energy um, to, again, just to be thoughtful and to really, like, you know, put his best foot forward always, and he's always been, again, a friend and just someone that I admire very much. Um, In terms of background, Kabir joined Walmart.org back in 2014 and really oversees their strengthening local community work through a variety of of initiatives. Uh, Prior to Walmart, Kabir worked... uh, at the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, um, where he helped raise over $2.2 billion. And it also worked uh, in a variety of international nonprofits um, in the U.S., the U.K., and India.
1: Should we give him a call? Yeah, let's do it. Welcome, Kavir to What Donors Want. We are absolutely thrilled to have you on the show today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Awesome. So before we dive into the main kind of uh, questions around your work at walmart.org, we always start each episode off with a speed round of questions. And the whole idea behind this is to get to know donors as people and to promote the idea that that's a really important thing when you're building a partnership with someone. So we've got a few questions for you. We're going to kind of speed round, fire them at you. You can say the first thing that comes to your mind and we'll go from there. Does that sound okay?
0: Sounds great.
1: Question number one. If you could have any superpower, what would it be?
0: <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, the, the, the
2: power to heal.
1: Oh, that's a little bit more that's philosophical
2: deep. than we thought. All right, Kabir. This is the way it's going to yeah. go. Um, <laughs> what was the on. last show you binged? Um,
0: I'm binging Game of Thrones right now. Oh, nice. Awesome. Okay.
1: What was the yes. la- last book that you read?
2: Uh, New Power by Henry Timms oh, nice. and Jeremy Hyman. Yep. I was, I just sat on a plane, I told you about, randomly with Henry, I was seated right next yeah. to him.
1: Uh,
2: small world. Um, what's your favorite genre of music? Oh, 90s hip hop, by far.
1: If you could be the lead singer of any cover band, which one would you choose?
0: Be a Beatles cover band.
2: All right. What's your favorite guilty pleasure movie? Shawshank Redemption.
1: Where is your next dream travel destination?
2: I'd like to do an Alaskan cruise. The world is gonna end tomorrow. What's your last meal? Oh, Indian food, of course. And I would say Indian food in London. Nice, oh, very nice.
1: All right, big question for you, either or. Biggie or Tupac?
2: Oh, it's Tupac.
1: Mm.
2: He's a California boy, Uh, You see. so yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course. All right, last question for you, big man. Complete this sentence. In West Philadelphia, born and raised.
0: (laughs) Playground is where I used to spend most of my days. There
2: we go. Okay, good, good, good.
1: Thank you so much, Kabir, for indulging us in that. You have officially survived the speed round. And (laughs) (laughs) for the next um, portion of the podcast, we really want to start with a deep dive into your work at walmart.org. So our first question for you is, Kabir, as a senior director there, can you give us an overview of your primary responsibilities?
0: Sure. Um, I joined walmart.org about five years ago. Uh, We used to be known as Walmart and the Walmart Foundation, recently rebranded. And I have overseen almost all of our community programs at various points in my five years. So that includes work that falls into four buckets of work. Um, There's all of our localized giving, all the giving in the United States that takes place in front of our stores, inside of our stores, every store over 4,700 around the United States um, has a charitable giving budget, and so it's all the ways that giving shows up in and around our stores. Um, The second area um, that I've overseen in the past five years is our associate engagement programs. Associate are what we call our employees. Um, Those are, think of ways that we give time or ways that we give money, Um, so our volunteerism, our uh, matching programs, things like that. Um, And then also how we help our associates. Um, So we have a critical needs trust, and we have um, a scholarship program. And then the final area that I oversee is our disaster response and preparedness programs. Uh, This program is global in nature, and we monitor over 400 events uh, throughout a year, and we'll engage in anywhere from 50 to 100 in response. And um, a few years ago, we also started instituting investments in preparedness. Um, So thinking about how we can build capacity and resilience in the sector uh,
2: for nonprofit organizations that are doing good work. Great. And just a point of clarification, Kabir, when you say associates, you mean um, Walmart staff. Is that correct? That's right. Walmart employees. Got it. Okay.
0: So, A couple of interesting facts I'll share with you. Um, Walmart is the largest private workforce in the United States. We have... um, Ranges, but between 1.3 and 1.5 million associates, uh, so employees, in the United States. Um, we have close to another million outside the United States, so that puts us almost at about 2.5 million employees. And in the United States, I would say that 90% of the population lives within 10 miles of a Walmart. That's amazing. Wow. That's yeah. Crazy. And as, as many people say, proximity matters. Yeah. So for us, yeah. we think about that and how we lean into that as a strength.
2: So Kabir, you talked a lot about the different kinds of giving and support that you guys provide, both your associates, but also your local communities. Um, If I'm not mistaken, um, you guys are credited as being one of the largest um, in-kind donors in the world. Is that correct? I believe so, yes. Can you walk us through? Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think uh,
0: pharmaceuticals give more um, when you take the value of the medicine. Um, But outside of that, I think we are the largest.
2: Gotcha. Right. Can you walk us through a little bit of the types of in-kind support walmart.org gives and how you go about identifying organizations to support? Sure. Um, So the the primary way that we provide
0: in-kind support um, is through our food donation program. And let me ask you a question. You know, when you go to the grocery store, when you buy food, if you're like me, uh, I would ask, you know, do you push, you know, the bread to the side and kind of lean in the back? Or do you push milk to the side and kind of reach in the back and take the milk out from there? Always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, right. So it's human nature, right? So about, it was, I would say right around post-hurricane Katrina, um, a group of store managers in Walmart stores said, you know, um, we move this food to the side. And what happens is the food in the front that's perfectly good and would otherwise go to waste, um, the food in the front that's perfectly good would end up going to waste otherwise. And so, That was really the start of our formalized in-kind giving program, and it was this understanding that you have perfectly good food that would otherwise get thrown away, and what if there was a way to get that food from a Walmart store to somebody's table quickly? Um, After Hurricane Katrina, which is kind of a a landmark moment for us as a company in terms of understanding the role that we can really play in community, uh, we worked really closely with Feeding America um, to help them build up. Their network. So think logistics, transportation, just overall capacity. And Feeding America is a network of over 200 food banks around the country. And so, as we started to invest in them and help them build their capacity, that allowed them um, and us to partner together to get food from a Walmart store that would otherwise go to waste to somebody's table, sometimes as soon as 48 or 72 hours. And so, what we started to do was kind of find this intersection of efficiency. And community good, which is how do we take food out of the waste chain, and how do we actually help that reach um, somebody's table um, in a way that benefits everyone? And that, in my mind, embodies a little bit about our shared value approach. So we're not interested in just you know making a one-off in-kind donation or making a one-off grant. Um, in most cases, we really try and take a shared value approach, where we figure out you know money is important. We fully recognize and acknowledge that, but there's a lot of other value adds that Walmart can bring to the table, whether it's expertise. So in this case, transportation, logistics, food storage, things like that, or whether it's um, um, sustainability, whether it's leveraging our suppliers and so on. When we combine the two, when we combine philanthropic grant-making to do good, and we can take core strengths of the business and lean into those together, um, the impact uh, becomes greater than just the sum of the parts.
1: That's fantastic. And something else that we know you do a lot of is is in the corporate volunteering space and which kind of plays onto that note about expertise that you were just talking about. Could you speak us through a little bit about how you approach corporate volunteering and how how that might differ between the corporate and the store levels if it does?
0: Sure. Um, So the the program is the same. It's open to all of our associates, whether they're at what we call our home office, which is our corporate headquarters, or whether it's out in the field. And we have uh, a dollars for doers program called Volunteerism Always Pays. Um, And for every hour, our associates go out and volunteer. Um, We'll donate $10 uh, to a charity uh, that they elect as long as the charity is eligible and they meet certain criteria that we set out. Um, You know, my philosophy and our philosophy is that Walmart doesn't come into communities. Walmart comes from communities. So, you know, we build locally. um, We hire associates from the community who work in the stores. And so they're best positioned to know what are the organizations that need help. Um, And the best thing we can do is get out of their way uh, and allow them to choose Uh, organizations and do our best to support causes that they're passionate about.
1: That's awesome. And can you speak a little bit about, in your experience, what makes a great employee volunteering experience for for your staff? Is there kind of key qualities that shine out based on your experience with partners in the past?
0: Yeah, I think um, a couple of things come to mind. One, expectation management um, and transparency. So I've spent over 15 years in the nonprofit sector, And I think one of the greatest challenges and hardest things to do is to say no uh, to a donor or a potential donor. Not every opportunity is a good opportunity. And so I always appreciate when I see organizations that say, you know, we understand you want to volunteer, but this really isn't a good fit for us um, because uh, it's really not in line with our model or it's going to take more effort to kind of manage you as volunteers than the benefit that we get out of it. That being said, I do think there's a lot of value to finding different ways to engage with potential donors um, over time. So I appreciate you know, transparency, um, ex- helping manage expectations. And of course, we always want it to be a cause that our associates um, are passionate about. If they're not passionate about it, then you know it, it's, it, it won't have the same sort of effect and impact. And, and the hope is volunteerism serves as a gateway to become more involved with their local community in whatever form and fashion that they choose. I think um, engagement is a spectrum. And uh, a lot of times, companies will measure you know, success as being uh, 100% of our employees are volunteering or 100% of our employees are giving. I don't think that's the right approach. I think different things work for different people at different times. You know, Early in life, you may not be able to donate money, but you may be able to donate time. Later in life, money might be tighter, you have kids and perhaps are going to university, um, but you may be able to um, donate, you know, you may be able to donate other resources or figure out different ways to engage. I think what's most important is, in my mind, and something that, that I struggle with today is how do we really define engagement? What does that actually mean as we go forward? And what is meaningful engagement? It's different things to different individuals. And so as a company, the greatest unlock we can have is to create a platform on which individuals can build their own applications. They can figure out how they bring that to life. We can hopefully add value in that process. We can help connect them to resources. But if we really want something so personal as giving, whether you're giving time, money, product, space, whatever it is that you're donating to create more value in the world, you have to find a way to self actualize that. And if you're able to self actualize that, in my opinion, it becomes more sustainable. It becomes more deeply embedded. So, you know, I think what's important is that we find simple ways for people to engage and we provide a clear path for them to escalate that engagement in a way that's meaningful to themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what you mentioned as well about wanting honest and transparent partnerships—that's definitely a sentiment that's come across the podcast from every single guest that we've spoken to. And it must be—I mean, it's quite an interesting dynamic when few companies, let alone nonprofits, are the size and scope of Walmart. Do you ever find that a challenge to kind of address that power dynamic and to to you know set the platform for an open and honest partnership, or does that come pretty naturally in your portfolio? Yeah, I think.
0: Um... It's a process that's evolved over time. I don't think it's easy. It's something like any partnership that requires constant work. And you know one of one of my favorite lines, which uh, is, I'm sure with many, is you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So we're very proactive in engaging with grantees. Um, we do materiality assessments to understand, what is it that we're, um, you know, are, are we really meeting the needs of our grantees in the ways that's important to them? And we have a constant commitment to growth and, and really a growth mindset, which is really how can we continually learn and improve and get better? Um, because the greatest value that a nonprofit partner brings is expertise. It can be subject matter expertise, geographic expertise, an understanding of a very specific community and how to have an intervention. And so what Walmart can do is identify good, strong partners and work with them uh, to make meaningful change in their communities. And of course, we are always ultra concerned um, with making sure that nonprofits are sticking to their mission Um, And not simply trying to do what we ask them to do because they think there might be some larger grant on the horizon. Um, And we try and be very clear and upfront about that. Um, We emphasize that. And so as we think about long-term partnerships, we always engage pretty heavily and pretty deeply. Um, We want to make sure that we are not um, the only funder of a nonprofit, both for fiscal reasons and also long-term sustainability. We want to make sure that they're staying very true to their mission and their core. And then also we want to make sure that they're able to utilize the money that we give them, a portion of that, for capacity building. Um, it's something that always surprised me when I was a fundraiser for many years was this constant drive for many funders to remove capacity building from nonprofit budget proposals. Um, yeah. And it's not, how, it's not how we would grow in the private sector. It's not how we should grow in the nonprofit sector or civil society either. So it's critically important for funders to recognize the need to invest in that area.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Can I that's, your
0: question?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great answer. And it's it's interesting. We've heard that from a lot of guests as well about yeah, yeah. the kind of desire to do capacity building and how that's on one hand needed in the not-for-profit sector, but on the other hand, we've heard um, from some funders who have said their grantee portfolio has actually, um, you know, kind of pushed back and said, actually, what we really need is unrestricted funding. So it's definitely a balance of the two, but it's great to hear that you're invested in that area.
0: Yeah, but I, I, you know, I would also push back a little bit and say, I don't necessarily see it in a lot of funders and it's challenging. I look at um, the disaster space in particular, um, you know, almost, I think I believe it's almost 90% of all disaster donation dollars go towards response. Um, And, and there's a lack of investment on the preparedness side. And so I think the onus is on us as funders to really figure out how can we make a meaningful difference. You know, um, technology is probably the greatest single unlock for disaster organizations, and many of them are woefully behind in their technological investments because people are more interested in providing, you know, immediate life-saving, life-sustaining activities, which are incredibly important. But when the disaster goes away, we automatically see a pullback in funding or yeah. uh, focus on different areas.
2: Yeah, no, it's true. Um, Kabir, I'm really interested in. Obviously, wa- Walmart.org has very much a relationship, and it's an it is an extension of Walmart as a corporate, as a business. Can you tell us a little bit about the role of the business when it comes to the strategy strategy setting and the decision-making process for Walmart.org?
0: Sure, so Walmart.org is the combination of Walmart as a company's corporate and philanthropic giving and the Walmart Foundation, which is a separate legal entity. Walmart Foundation um, is uh, fully funded by the company. Um, but has it has a board of directors that you know set strategies and make decisions about where funding goes um, in line with all the, the laws and regulations that govern uh, private foundations in the United States. Um, so what I would say is the the greatest opportunity in the past five years um, since our, our current leader and, and and the team here has seen is really taking this shared value approach to understand. Um, where is it that we can use philanthropic dollars to benefit all of society? And where can we combine that with expertise, knowledge, and resources from the business? And putting those two together help us get to a greater value add. Um, so in my mind, you know, business exists to serve society. And there's many ways that business can do that. And, and, and the way I view it is that charity separately, has a a very unique role that it can play. um, Or I shouldn't say cherry, philanthropic investment has a very unique role that it can play. and, And the combination of the two can be incredibly powerful. And like one example I'll give, which is not tied to our foundation or philanthropic giving, is when Walmart changes its policies, you think about the sheer number of people that that impacts, um at an employee or what we call associate level. Nice.
1: It's pretty amazing. Yeah.
0: You know, if you think about um we have some of the most um liberal maternity policies in the United States and parental leave policies. We've adopted we've um added, you know, adoption provisions and so on. So I, I think that sometimes the good that a company can do just through its own governance and its own changes is absolutely um, uh, it, it, it almost makes it pale in comparison to what the philanthropic side can do. And when you combine those two forces, the amount of good that can be done is, is truly amazing.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I think we definitely agree with that. And it's great to see that you think about impact holistically between the the corporate side and and the foundation.org side as well. That's very, very cool. So quite recently, particularly recently, there's been a lot of shifts and changes within the philanthropy space and particularly within corporate philanthropy. And there's been a lot of conversations and also critiques around that. So we're wondering... What have you seen change and how, what is your perspective on that landscape and what does that mean for you as a corporate foundation, but also as walmart.org in your kind of new rebrand in this, in this phase?
0: Um, I think over the past five years, I can certainly say at Walmart, we've seen a shift to move more from checkbook philanthropy to strategic philanthropy. And I think that trend is going to continue with us and with other companies. Um, In particular, we've really leaned into a shared value model of giving um, and really thinking about how we can leverage core strengths of the business to do greater good. Um, And I think that it's a trend we're going to see more and more uh, because every company, hopefully, their desire is to have greater impact on the communities where they work, where they live, and and the communities that they serve. Um, I also think a broader shift is happening in philanthropy right now um and we're seeing it and 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 the sector the corporate sector and the broader sector has to evolve and that's one if you look at uh, a lot of crowdsourcing groups like gofundme and others the nature of what's defined as philanthropy is evolving um more and more people um are just thinking about how can i do good and sometimes that's through formal institutions as we've done in the past And sometimes that's more peer-to-peer or uh, institution-to-peer and so on. So I I think there's um, a little bit of a check that we all need to do and ask ourselves. The world is changing. Technology is obviously playing a much bigger role in its ability to connect people. And how do we adapt our giving and philanthropy in a way um, that's uh, still impactful, um, but also in a way that people are ready to uh, absorb it?
1: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, for giving us a glimpse into that. That's definitely echoed by a lot of our guests on the show and particularly in the kind of post winners take all age where there's a, an increased sense of accountability, but also really interesting conversations happening at all levels of, of foundations and corporate foundations. So it's really interesting to hear how you guys are approaching that and, and what's going on behind the scenes for you.
2: So Kabir, I'd love to get a little bit more, if I could use the word transactional, um, Let's say that I'm um, uh, my my charity, my nonprofit has just applied to Walmart.org for a medium to large grant. Um, can you tell? Can give us um, a kind of a peek behind the curtain of how things like the due diligence process works, and also the decision making process. Um, so that's kind of part one of my question, and then part two would be once you've made a grant, right? Whether it's a one-off or whether it's a multi-year grant, I'd love for you also to talk to us. Um, in terms of how you guys like to be stewarded? What kind of relationship do you look for with your grantees? What kind of reporting do you want? So again, let's talk to us about the, your due diligence and decision-making process, and then afterwards, what kind of uh, stewardship and relationship do you seek? Yeah, that's a great question.
0: Um, so much of that depends on the portfolio, the maturity of the strategy um, that we're executing against. And really the purpose and intent behind the grant, but I'll, I'll walk you through a couple of um, examples. So um, from a due diligence process, you know, whether an organization comes to us through an LOI, which they can submit on our website, or um, in, after we have an eligibility quiz, which helps uh, understand what an organization's priority are and how to match them up against a variety of different um Grant-making opportunities that exist. But once they've gone through that process, um, usually it starts with a conversation if we see a good fit. So taken in the case of an LOI, if if we find something um, interesting that's tied to our strategy, we would reach out to the organization um, and have a conversation to dig deeper and understand more about the work, the quality of the work, the nature of the impact, the outcomes that they want to drive, and so on. Um, if, for example, an organization is approaching through an RFP process, usually that is pretty well defined already, and we'll go through um, again. Depending on, on on the portfolio, we'll go through a round or two where we narrow that down and again dig deeper. I, I think the overarching message is we really do, especially when we think about mid to larger size engagements, see ourselves as um, helping co-develop or partner with organizations to really drive towards their mission um align that with our strategy and then further um evolve that in a way that's going to make sense for both of us to partner together um after that again it it a little bit depends on on where we are in that process it can move fairly quickly um we have our own governance processes depending on if it's a foundation grant or if it's a part of corporate giving and so sometimes There are um, governance checks that have to take place, Uh, for example, taking a larger grant if it's over a certain threshold to our board of directors for them to review and weigh in on. Um, But we pride ourselves on trying to be responsive and making sure that we are very quickly uh, engaging with nonprofit organizations and keeping communication flowing between our two organizations um, to, to understand what's the next step and what's the timeline for that. Um, regarding the stewardship and relationship question, um, again, so much of that depends on, on the type of grant. So if I look at the world of disaster response, um, really what we're looking for is very quick proposals um, or even a conversation because we don't want to delay um, aid to those that need it um, who are under, you know, impacted by a disaster. So sometimes that happens, um, you know, within hours uh, and sometimes it'll take a little bit longer. I think for our our broader strategies, um, uh, a lot of that is up to the individual grant maker who oversees that grant. Um, And so if they have a good understanding and a long-term relationship with the organization, there'll be a lot less stewardship required. Um, And it becomes a good partnership, keeping each other aware of what the developments are in the sector, um, and then you know, periodic, regular touch bases. I think all of us as grant makers welcome insights to those that are closest to the work, uh, email updates, and then the most important thing is, is absolutely being responsive um, when you hear from us. Um, I think a lot of times there are other factors we're trying to manage. So for example, whether it's a governance meeting or whether it's questions being raised, uh, in internal reviews that we do as we get ready to approve grants, we want to be able to answer those questions quickly, make sure that we understand, and then communicate that back out. Um, I think what I, the last thing I'll say is no grant is made in isolation. There's never uh, a singular person making a determination if a grant is going to go forward or not. And so that broad-based awareness as to sector trends combined with um, specific answers uh, to questions that are raised help uh, a grant manager really partner and make the case as to why this is the right grant to move forward with.
1: I think that's such an interesting point, especially the the last point you made around being responsive quickly and helping your grant manager make the case for you internally. We, um, one of our, our last guests actually was uh, someone named Edgar Villanueva who wrote Decolonizing Wealth. And he was speaking about how even if you work in philanthropic institutions, if the money isn't yours personally, you never cease to be a fundraiser. You just become the fundraiser within the, the organization or the institution, you know, at a different level on behalf of the organization. And I think it's such a key insight for fundraisers to know that there's so many more levels of, of advocacy that needs to go into securing their grant. So responding quickly, getting them the materials they need, all that kind of stuff is so important. That's really cool to hear from your side as well. Uh, a quick follow up question. So. Going on that stewardship journey, once the support has been committed and you move into that phase, I know you said that it can be relatively high or low touch depending on the strength of the relationship, but what are the most common mistakes that you see organizations and fundraisers making after a gift has been committed that turn you off from committing additional support in the future?
0: The largest mistake that I see is a lack of communication when the objectives or outcomes have changed related to the grant proposal. And so um, it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while, we'll see a proposal, we'll work with an organization. And when it comes time to reporting, um, and that frequency could be at a three-month or six-month or 12-month interval, depending on the nature of the grant, yeah. um, it's it's kind of seeing it in the impact report for the first time um, and not having a conversation. I think, um, you know, I'm a big fan of um, lean impact, um, and, um, and recognizing that the problems we're all trying to solve are the biggest problems that exist in the world. And so things change and that's completely normal. Um, I think it's incredibly important to bring along your funder in the process as things change, as things change, you know, so as, 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 um, the, the community being impacted as changed, as other resources come to the table, as the problem statement may have evolved, it is incredibly important to just have open communication uh, and to make sure that, that um, there's a constant dialogue, you know, because the way we view it, I would say that, you know, um, what we do is a privilege. It's an honor and a privilege to do the work that we do. The problems we're trying to solve are very large, and none of us can solve it individually. We'll have to solve it together. And so for us to solve it together, there has to be true partnership and an understanding that situations
2: change. We have to be agile and we have to adjust and we have to work towards that longer term vision. That's a great answer. And and it's nice to hear you say that because it really echoes what other guests on the program have said. And those guests, you know, the ones that I'm thinking of in particular, are people like Jen and Emily from mm-hmm. the Gates Foundation, you know, individual philanthropists that have been on the show, um, you know, whether it's an individual, a family foundation, a corporate foundation, a corporate entity, you know, we, we hear that message all the time, the, the importance of, of, of honest, transparent relationships and, and, and you know, and that, and that understanding um, that you just so you know so beautifully articulated, Kabir, that it is uh, you know we are solving some of the world's largest problems, or at least trying to move the needle on some of the world's largest problems, and it and it can be it can be messy and complicated, and things are not always going to um, work out the way you laid it out on, on a funding application, and so transparency and honest uh, honesty is key. Yeah, and just from a, a business point of view, you know one of the phrases that I've heard that I like,
0: which I think is so relevant, is. Um, we all have to have license to operate, and so we ask ourselves, where do we derive that credibility? And that credibility comes from the communities that we serve and the organizations that we partner with. Mm-hmm. And if if we don't have that credibility, if we don't have um, their buy-in and their trust, then you know this work is it's simply not um, it's not achievable. So it, it's incredibly important to have license to operate. It's incredibly important to have trust. Um, and for all of us to focus on the greater vision.
1: So our final question to you is, you know, for listeners who, and listeners are primarily fundraisers or kind of leaders at nonprofits really around the world who are trying to raise more income um, for their causes, for their mission. What is the one key thing that you would want them to take away from this conversation about corporate foundations and corporate giving from your perspective?
0: I think that's that's a tough one. The most important thing I want, folks
1: yeah, or to you deploy. can do top top two or three, but
0: yeah, no. That's, but what
1: that's, are the nuggets you want them to walk away remembering?
0: I, I appreciate appreciate the questions. Um, <laughs> I think, um, like any partnership, you know, personal, business, or otherwise, it takes constant work uh, to make it work. And in my mind, um, understanding you know, what it is that matters to your partner, understanding for your partner to understand what it is that matters to you, and the ability to really manage expectations well uh, is critically important. To do that, there has to be very open communication. Uh, There has to be a willingness to kind of open the rope and say, you know, um, here are some of the challenges that we face. And our style at Walmart with long-term partners and and our style at Walmart.org with our partners really is, is to say, we recognize that you are tackling some of the world's greatest challenges and, and you're not going to get there on your own. We're not going to get there on our own. No one is. So we must partner together. We must go hand in hand through this journey. We must recognize that, that you're not going to be able to predict two or three years from now, what specific outcomes are going to be. That's going to evolve and change as the problem evolves and changes. And so that commitment to core values, that commitment to being open, honest and transparent allows for what creates long-term partnerships not one-off funding.
1: That's awesome. That's
0: a great That's answer. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much Kabir. We so appreciate yeah. you taking the time to to speak with us today and to be on the show.
0: Thank you very much. It's a it's a pleasure. <laughs>
1: Thanks again for listening to another episode of What Donors Want. And a huge thank you to Kabir for his generous time and advice.
2: As always, we'd love to hear from you. If any of you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can check us out online at impactandgrowth.com. Say hello to us on Twitter. Um, Our handle is at IG underscore advisors. um, Or come find us in London for a coffee, where Rachel promised to take you out for a coffee. Is that correct, Rachel?
1: (laughs) I do promise. Uh, I'm very fun. Um, (laughs) Coming up next. So she (laughs) says. Coming up and humble. Yeah. Coming up next, we have a very exciting live recording at the Institute of Fundraisings 2019 Convention, which is hosted at the Barbican Center. So we're very excited to feel fancy in one of their big theaters. We've got swag. Stay tuned. It's pretty good. You're not really a
2: podcast. Unless you have swag, I right? agree.
1: I agree. So uh, and, and lots more swag coming soon. We've got an amazing pipeline of interviews now lined up, truly through the end of the year, which is incredibly exciting. Um, and thanks again so much for all your support. So uh, thanks again for listening, and, and see thanks you again soon. for having me on. Years <laughs> later, it's been years. It, it really has. I haven't seen Carlos in years.
2: Years.